Welcome to uh, week five of uh, getting through what you're going through. We've been talking about this whole process of how God uses the troubles and, of life to get us through uh, and actually form us. And so we're in the last couple of weeks going down the home stretch here. And as we do the last today and next week's really about after we get through the initial shock and, and then the sorrow and then the struggle and then the surrender. And surrender we talked about last week is not giving up. Surrender is surrendering our fears to God and letting him work through our life. Then when we go through that, God begins to do something in our life. And so when we talk about that today is really getting down to the purpose of our life. You know that God's number one purpose for your life is that you, that you become like Jesus Christ. It's incredibly clear in Scripture that that's what God wants us to do. And when you understand this, everything in life will make more sense. In, uh, in Romans eight twenty nine, it says, From the very beginning, it has been God's plan that we become like his son. That's God's plan from the very beginning. Remember it over, it says back in Genesis, and when uh, the, the Bible first begins the process of talking about uh, that we were created, it says, when God created us, it says, let us make man in our image. And so we see throughout Scripture that that's true, that God wants us to, to be like him. Now, don't misunderstand me. Um, you will never be God, okay? You no, won't even be a little God. That's not the purpose. God wants you to become like him, but what does it mean to become like Christ? Well, one of the best descriptors of that, uh, what it means to become like Jesus Christ, uh, is a description in Scripture of what the Holy Spirit does in our life, and it calls, talk, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It says that there are qualities that God wants us to have in our life, qualities like gentleness and kindness and joy and peace and patience and love and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. He wants all of those things in our life. That is what he wants us to become like him, those characteristics of who he is. That's a perfect picture of who Jesus is. And, uh, and so God wants you to, your life to be filled with love, and he wants your life to be filled with joy and peace, and he wants your life to be filled with patience. That's what it means to be more like Christ. That's what his purpose for our life is. Now, how does God do that? How does God make us like Christ? Well, there's a process. It's not in the Bible. This is not a Bible word. This is a theological word that we use sometimes. It's the word sanctification. I'm sure y'all just remember that word, use it every day in your normal language. No, no you don't. Sanctification literally means becoming like Christ. It means to become like Jesus Christ. That's all it means. And God uses this process of helping us to become like, like Jesus Christ. And the way that God produces this fruit of the Spirit, these, these attributes in our life, is by putting you, not what you would think, by just introducing them into your life, but he actually puts you into situations which is the opposite of what the characteristic is like because you don't learn it by, by simply being... Let me give you, give you an example. How does God uh, help me to be more loving? How does God help me to be more loving? How does God help you to be more loving? Well, is it, is it easy to love people that are lovable? Sure, it is. It's easy to love people that love you. So how do you learn to love in the way that God wants us to love unconditionally? Well, what he does in our lives is he puts you around people that are difficult to love. <laughs> and you're going, don't think about them. Don't point to them right now, okay? The reality is, is that God will place you in situations where you're around unlovable people and you, have to, and you have to learn to love them unconditionally because love has nothing to do with your feelings. Love has to have everything to do with your, with your there's feelings in love, yes. But it has to do with your decision to, to do the best for that person. That's what love is. And so God will place you uh, in that situation. Matter of fact, 
what did Jesus say about love? He says we're to love our enemies, not just the people who like us. And so that's one of the things God does. How about, how does God produce joy in your life? By putting us in times of sadness, because joy comes from the outside, and happiness comes, I mean, joy comes from the inside, and happiness comes from the outside. Joy is internal, and he wants to teach us that it has nothing to do with your external circumstances. That's not what you, that's what, not where joy comes from. It's a decision we make, um, in, a, in a sense, in, a, in spite of the difficulties of life. How does God teach us peace? How does God teach us peace? Well, in times of stress and conflict, that's how he teaches us peace because it's easy to be peaceful when everything is going well, is it not? It's easy to be peaceful when everything is going your way. But if you're going to become a man or a woman of peace, God will have to put you through times of conflict. How about patience? How about patience? Where do you learn to be patient? You just kind of grunt and go like, I'm going to be patient and you just become patient, right? No. I, I remember one time, I, you know, I was praying about that, and I was reading the fruits of the Spirit, and I was praying about fruits of the Spirit, and I was going, God, I want to be more patient. <laughs> it's a dangerous prayer. I can just tell you that's, that's a dangerous prayer, because instead of my problems getting better, they got worse. And, and, and so I prayed more. I said, God, give me more patience. I just need more patience. And the problems got worse. And, and, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, one day, after about six months, I realized that I was a lot more patient than I used to be because I had to be to survive during that time. God had taught me patience by having to put me in a, con- in a place where I had to learn patience the hard way. Now, God uses, uses some things in our life to help us to become like Jesus, and these things are things he uses to sanctify our life. I think there's four things, and if you have an outline today, you can fill this in. For those who like to fill in blanks, you can fill them in. If you don't, just ignore it. Um, Four things that God uses to make you like Jesus. The first thing the Bible tells us that he uses to make us like Jesus is his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible teaches that the, that the Holy Spirit is not just something that, that's out there and just ever, ever so often shows up. It says that when we become a believer in Christ and we trust in Christ, his Holy Spirit indwells in us and enables us to learn some things. Uh, there's all kind of words that it's used in Scripture to describe who the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit, what he does is, does is the Holy Spirit begins to produce love and joy and peace in your life. And the Bible says that the more we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life, the more that the Holy Spirit will begin to help us to become more like Jesus in our life. So that's the first way we become like Jesus, by letting God's Spirit live through us. The second thing the Bible tells us that, we, that God uses to help us to become more like Jesus is it's scripture. It's scripture. Um, the Bible tells us it's truth that transforms us. In John 17, 17, it says, sanctify them through your truth, for your, tr- your word is truth. God's word is truth. And one of the reasons that we study the Bible is not just so we'll have knowledge. The reason that we study the Bible is that so we will understand what truth is. And God's truth begins to change us to become more like Christ. And the more we know God's word, the more we become like Jesus. If we allow to not just acknowledge the word, but actually live out the word in our lives as well. Another thing that God uses is God uses other people. Believe it or not, God uses other people to help us to become more like Christ. You're going like, how's that work? Well, it's kind of like this. People, there is people in your life that give you support and encourage you. That's the people I'm talking about uses you to help become more like Christ. People who challenge you people who teach us, people who encourage us. God uses people to make you like Jesus. 
And so that's three ways. Now, I, wanna, I went through those quickly, but I want to spend most of my time this morning on the fourth way that God uses. And this really goes along with the series that we've been going through, how to get through what you're going through. Because I think one of the main things that God does, and I, I see this not just from experience, but from Scripture, one of the main things that God does, and one of the main tools He uses to help us to grow and to become more like Christ, is God uses problems. God uses problems in our life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, Paul says this, he says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. And then Paul summarizes what he just says in the next few verses. He says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Though our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Now, what's that Bible passage saying to us? I want to focus our attention for a few moments today on that passage of Scripture that we just read. Because I really believe that it says this. It says that every problem has a purpose. Every problem has a purpose. And we are transformed so often in our life by our troubles. They're what shape and mold us. They're what refine us. There is a reason for the problems in your life. So often the problems are caused sometimes by people and sometimes by yourself. And God doesn't mean every problem to come along, but he uses those problems, the Bible says, to, ref, to, to form you. God wants, wants to use it for good in my life. Some people, for some strange reason, believe this. They believe that when you become a Christian, all your problems go away. I've heard that theology before. It's a, a prosperity gospel. It's a, this idea that, you know, you become a Christian, you become rich, and have no more problems. Well, that is not in the Bible anywhere that I see. The reality is, is that, yeah, you, you will still have problems. Why do you have problems? You have problems because you live in this world. And we talked about this before, that, that we have problems. And uh, the Bible says, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's what the words of Jesus, I quoted the words of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. Uh, Peter tells us in the book of 1 Peter, he says, My dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful test you are suffering as though something unusual are happening to you. So he said, you know, if something bad happens to you, don't be surprised because you live in this, in this world. You, see, he says that we should expect problems on this planet. Why? Because this is not heaven. This is earth. This is not heaven, this is earth. And lots of people expect heaven on earth. But this is earth, and everything on earth that we talked about at the beginning of this series, everything on earth is broken. The Bible tells us that sin has broken everything. Nothing works perfectly on this planet anymore. The weather does not work perfectly. Would you say amen to that? <laughs> I've never heard so much talk about, I mean, I've said it too. I mean, I am so sick and tired of snow and winter. Even you guys that grew up here, you're now complaining. It took a while, but you're now complaining. 
I mean, you know, literally, I mean, when you shovel snow seven times in one week, you know, it becomes ridiculous after a while. The snowplow guy is our highest paid employee, you know, here at, at Great Oaks the last few weeks. But I'm thankful for him because he was here this morning again at 6 a.m. Uh, when I got here, he was already here uh, plowing our lot for the second time in the last three days. And so, you know, we're, you know we, we have problems. Things are broken. The weather does not work perfectly. The economy does not work perfectly. Boy, is that true. The, uh, you know, the, the, no relationship works perfectly. No marriage works perfectly. The only people that think a marriage is going to work perfectly are people that aren't married yet. <laughs> right? I mean, I have them in my office. They're getting ready to get married. They have these, like, they, they have this, their, their eyes are glowing. They look at each other into each other's eyes. And they realize, you know, we talk, and, 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 I, and I'll tell people this. Now, don't take this wrong, but I've got to be honest with you. Okay? It drives me crazy. Weddings drive me crazy. <laughs> Literally. I'd rather do five funerals than a wedding any day. Because people go totally crazy at weddings, you know. They have to do all this stuff. If people would spend half the energy preparing for marriage and the problems of marriage and the issues of marriage and, and do really good premarital counseling and, you know, and do some of that stuff and spend a little bit less time on the ceremony, you'd be a lot better off. And so people come to, you know, and so, you know, but, you know, so people come to the, you know, they look at my office and they're getting ready to get married and they're looking at each other and they've never been married before and they think it's going to be perfect. And I'm going like, you know, one of the things I try to do when, when they're in my office, when people do premarital counsel, I try to get them in an argument. I really, it's not hard. It's not really hard at all. It really isn't. Because uh, one of my, one of my professors in seminary said, you know, one of your goals in premarital counseling is to get them to not want to get married. Yeah, you heard me right. That's what he said. He said if, they're not, if they can't work through the issues before they're married, they won't have very much chance after they're married. Because the problem is so often is we think everything's going to be perfect in our relationship. But let me tell you something, and those of you who know, even in the very best relationship, it's, it's, it's a relationship between two imperfect people. And it's never going to be perfect. And so no relationship, all our relationships are not perfect. Your body does not work perfectly. that True. I know some of you guys are, I mean, some of you guys and girls, you know, you work out all the time. I see you on Facebook. You're doing body pump and, you know, whatever that stuff is and, you know, all these classes and crazy stuff. And then you moan and groan as you leave, you know, whatever, you know, and I, I don't do, I do lift weights. I do a few things like that. But the reality is, is man, the older you get, the harder it becomes. Can I have an amen to that by anybody over 40 years old? Okay. Okay. Thank you. But the reality is everything's broken, and I was trying to get the point across. Everything is broken, and so the Bible says that we have troubles. Not because God wants us to have troubles, because he designed, remember when he designed the world in the Garden of Eden, it was perfect? But then sin came into the world, and because sin came into the world, what happens is everything was broken, and it stayed that way. It's not God's plan that everything be broken. But you know, the thing that's really interesting the thing that's really interesting is that in spite of the brokenness of the world, God still takes the problems of the world and turns them into good. He turns them into our good because God is a loving God and a good God. See, God told us in, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, how were we to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know the reason we pray that? God's will is always done in, on heaven, but it's rarely done on this earth. 
And he said, my goal for you is that your, my will will be done in your life on earth as it is in, in heaven. And there are a lot of things that happen on this planet that are not God's will. Evil is not God's will. God hates suffering. The Bible says that God weeps when we suffer. But God gives us the free will, the ability to make choices in this world. We're not robots. And so because of that, what happens is that God allows us to make those choices. And those choices and the choices that everybody else makes mesh with one another and collide with one another. And that's why we have a mess in the world. And anybody can bring good out of, out of good, but God specializes in bringing good out of bad. And I don't really know what's going on in your lives, I don't know what's going on in some of your lives, but God, God does, and he can bring even good, even out of the bad. One of the verses that, that really is, is important, and it's, I've mentioned before in this series, is it, where it says this, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's where God is when you're going through a tough time. God is, God is not an unsympathetic God. So when God sees me going through a difficult times, he is grieving with me. He is weeping. He wants to, and he wants to use it in my life for good. And I look at Scripture, and in Scripture it tells the truth. You know, God could have kept Joseph in the Old Testament out of, out of, out of jail, couldn't he? If he wanted to, God could have done that. I believe that's my God. He can do anything. But he chose not to. God could have kept Daniel out of the lion's den. But he didn't. God could have kept Paul from being shipwrecked and all the things that happened to him, but he didn't. God could have, helped, could have kept the three Hebrew children from going through the fiery furnace, but he didn't. God could have kept his son off of the cross, but he didn't. Why? Because God has a greater plan. God's plan for our life is not, so, is not just to make you comfortable, but to, make your, to grow you in character. So you can become like Christ. And when we understand that, it changes everything we do. You know, one of the most important promises in the Bible, and I shared with you there's over 7,000 promises in God's Word. One of the most important promises in the Bible is in Romans 8, 28. It's also one of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible and the mis most misquoted verses in all the Bible in context. It says this, it says, We know that God causes everything to work together for good, for the good of those who love God and are called according to the, His purpose for them. First of all, it says this. It says, we know. That's the first words. We know. It's, in other words, we don't guess, we don't pretend, we don't hope. We know for sure that when God says it, God is going to do it. This is what gives us confidence, even in the most difficult circumstances, that God is going to work, it says, even in, in the bad circumstances of life. It's not just a hope or a wish, it's a fact. And then the next phrase, and it says, says this, it says, God causes everything to work together for good. This verse does not say that everything that happens is good. No, there are many things in the world that are not good. There are lots of things that happen that are evil and that are wrong. But God says, I can, change, I can cause everything, even the things that, that I don't want to happen in the world, I can bring them together and I can help them become something for good. But you know this promise is not for everybody? Because what does the last phrase say? The last phrase that says, he call, we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
See, this promise is for those whose focus in life is to focus upon God, to say to God, God, I want to follow your, you and your plan. I want to trust in you. They've come to the point, if we talked about these last few weeks, we, we've gone through shock and we've gone through sorrow, we've gone through struggle, and we get to surrender. And surrender is saying, God, I trust you and, and your plan for my life. This promise in, in Romans eight twenty eight is for people who say, God, I trust you. I trust you. See, God doesn't owe us anything. But God says this. He says, I'm going to work together for good even in all the mess of life if you will just love me and trust me. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But I've got a greater plan for your life. A greater purpose for your life. But see, if I'm not loving God and I'm trying to fulfill his, but if I'm loving God and trying to fulfill his purpose, God says, I will work through even the bad things in your life and I will fit it according to my, to my purpose. Romans 5, 3, and 4 says this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they can help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength, strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. See, everything in our life that, ha- that has happened in our life, if you will give it to God, no matter what junk was in your past, God says, I will work it together for good if you will just trust me. I will bring good out of it. You know, individually, sometimes we don't understand how things happen. But when God brings them together, some way God makes them work together. It's kind of like this. Y'all like to eat? Anybody here like to eat? You like to eat cookies? Anybody like cookies? Anybody like to eat chocolate chip cookies? Okay? We've got a bigger crowd here all the time. Okay? Okay? My wife, uh, my wife is a great cook. And uh, <clears throat> she used to make chocolate chip cookies for me. Until I discovered that she made them the way that most people make them, until I discovered that I have a problem with a thing called gluten, and I can't eat it no more. That means no wheat. So you just think about that in your life. You eliminate wheat from your life. You eliminate half of everything we eat in America. No more fast food because everything's put on a bun, which is made out of wheat. No more pasta because it's usually made out of wheat. <clears throat> you know, so it's just, just a horrible life, you know. But no, not really. But my wife, she used to make these chocolate chip cookies. And, man, everybody has loved her chocolate chip cookies. I mean, everybody wanted a recipe. And so I asked her one day, honey, what's in them chocolate chip cookies? And she told me, well, here's the list of things. There's like eight ingredients in her chocolate chip cookies. And I wrote them down so I could remember them. Um, she said there's flour, there's sugar, there's eggs, there's butter, there's brown sugar, there's salt, there's baking soda, and there's chocolate chips. And I thought about that list of ingredients, and I'm going like, all that stuff. I don't know about you, but there's only one thing on that whole list that I would eat by itself, the chocolate chips. You know, they're everything else, even sugar by itself is kind of, ugh, you know, pure sugar or brown sugar, ugh, you know, questionable. But most of that stuff, I mean, who would eat baking soda or, or who would eat flour by itself or any of these things? But you take all those ingredients and you put them together and they, some way they transform into this miraculous, luscious Chocolate chip cookie about these, this big that's got ooey, gooey chocolate chips just flowing because I always eat them coming right out of the oven, you know. And, and, I, and we're always incredible. And you're going like, how does all those nasty ingredients, eggs, oh, who would eat eggs, raw eggs, except Rocky, you know. I mean, who would do that kind of thing? But you put it all together and it forms something in, in wonderful. Now, you may not think it's one, but I thought it was wonderful, especially now that I can't eat them. No, my wife still, still makes them. Now she substitutes things. No longer do I get uh, chocolate chips. Now I get carob chips. No longer do I get flour. I have almond flour. We, have, we make all these bizarre things now in our house. Nobody has, our pantry looks totally different than most people in America. But it's good, so, so that's, that's fine. No problem. 
But all I'm saying is this. How is it God can take, you know, eight things that taste individually not too good and bring them together and it tastes good? See, that's what God wants to do with your life. How can he take all the junk in your life, all the things, that, the spirit things, the things that are, that are good, the bad, the ugly, and bring them together and bring good out of it? I don't know, but that's God. And that's what he promises in Romans 8, 28. He said, if you love me, if you trust me, if you surrender to me, if you come to that place in your life, then what it is is that you'll go through some tough times, yes, but I have a greater plan for your life. Because God, he wants to take the sweet things in your life and the sour things in your life, and he wants to take the bitter things in your life and the dry things in your life, and he worked them together for good. The Bible also says this, that that, that Jesus is a sympathetic is sympathetic to us because he says that he goes, he's gone through everything we've gone through. The Bible promises this, that, that when we go through the things that Christ went through, we will share the same rewards if we trust in him. So let's look at Jesus. When Jesus was on earth, did he go through times when he was lonely? Was Jesus ever lonely? If you read scripture, yeah. There was times when he was lonely. Did Jesus go through times when he was tired and fatigued and worn out? Yeah. Jesus was tired and fatigued and worn out. Did Jesus go through times when people disliked him? I was talking about this the other day. You know, how many of you ever had anybody want to nail you to a cross? That's dislike. That's hate. I mean, I've never had anybody want to kill me yet. But the reality is, is that that's what happened with Jesus, and he went through all these things. See, God will take everything that you went through and then everything that Jesus went through, and if he didn't spare his son from these problems, why should he spare us? So what do we do? What do we do? What is the key to handling the problems of life? How do you get through the bad times you go through? You do three things. And I'm going to close with these three things really quickly. Number one, remember that God's plan is good. God has a good plan for your life. You know that? God has a plan for your life, a purpose for your life. And Jeremiah, one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures in Jeremiah, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And when we're in the midst of a problem, in the midst of a trial, what happens so often to us is we, we don't understand how that works, but we look at Scripture, and Scripture is always honest and true about things. It doesn't gloss over things. It doesn't make things whitewashed. That every, every problem has an easy answer. Because so often in Scripture, there's examples. One of the best examples is what I told you earlier, Joseph. Joseph was, had 11 brothers that were jealous of him. And so they sold Joseph into slavery, and he was taken to Egypt as a slave, and he'd done nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong other than being a little arrogant. Okay, that was his only problem. He was innocent, but bad things happened to him. When he got to Egypt, he was falsely accused of raping a woman. He was, he'd done nothing wrong. He was thrown in jail. And so the first 40 years of Joseph's life was all bad. I mean, he was accused. He was sold into slavery. He was thrown in jail. He was accused of all kinds of crimes. All these things went wrong in his life. But if you've read Scripture, you know the rest of the story. The rest of the story says this. He was exactly where God wanted him to be because as a result, he was raised up eventually to be the second person in charge of the land of Egypt. And because he was in that position, he saved Egypt and Israel from starving. And later, Joseph confronted his brothers who'd sold him as a slave. And his brothers were afraid that he would, they, he would kill them because he, he was in a power, position of power then. 
But in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph said this to his brothers, you meant to harm me. You meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. And he brought me to this place today that he might use me. See, we have to remember, and we have to take the long-term view that God has a plan and a purpose for our life beyond what we see right in front of us today. God wants to transform us by our troubles. And the secret to handling pain is this. Remember that all pain is temporary, but the reward is eternal. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was able to endure the cross and all of that pain because he looked forward to his reward in heaven. See, the problem is, is we have such short-term thinking. And when we have short-term thinking, we become discouraged because I have problems and pains and suffering. But when I realize that God is using this to make me like Jesus and I understand he has a bigger purpose for my life, it begins to change the way I look at things. So first I remember that God's plan is good. The second thing I do to deal with the problems in, of life is I rejoice and I give thanks. You're going like, nah, that doesn't work. You just don't rejoice. No, let, let me explain something to you. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. In the Bible, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, another hugely misquoted scripture, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, give thanks for all circumstances. We talked about lamenting a couple of weeks ago. You know, we're not supposed to go around and be like cheerleaders at a football game in a rainstorm. You know what I'm talking about? I've been to football games in a rainstorms. And we're all huddled up and we've got our parkas on and it's, it's howling. Or here, you know, I've been in, in snowstorms at football games. And the cheerleaders are still out there on the sidelines. Bless their heart. They're taught to do this and they're still smiling. And they still look like they're happy. But you know inside... They're just as, they're more miserable than you are because they got to wear those little outfits. It's all external. It's fake. I hate to say that, but you know, if you're a cheerleader, God forgive, you know, are judging you. But the reality is, is that you're taught. That's, that's part of a culture that you're doing, right? You're supposed to keep the crowd you know, up even when you're losing 47 to nothing. You know, it doesn't matter. You still cheer. You still look happy because you're supposed to do that. But that's what we think sometimes this verse says. Well, in all things as Christians, just smile and give thanks. And that's not what it says. Not for all things. It says in all circumstances. See, God never expects you to be grateful for evil. He never expects you to be grateful for the pain in your life. We do not give thanks for pain. We give thanks in the pain. And there's a huge difference. Why do we give thanks in pain? Because we know that God sees it. We know that God loves us. We know that God is with us. We know that God cares about it. We know that God has the power to change it, that God has a greater plan. It's not just what's happening right here and what's happening right now. And we know, according to God's word, that God will use it for good if we give it to him. That's why it says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. It's not talking about be happy all the time. It's talking about rejoice. Joy comes from the heart. It comes from being satisfied with God. God, I know that I can trust you. And even through I'm going through a tough time, a really bad time, that you have a greater plan for my life. Because we look at the future, not just on here and now. 
So remember God's purpose. Rejoice in the Lord. And finally, number three, the third thing we can do to help us to get through the times and, and to understand this is that refuse to give up. Refuse to give up. The Bible says this in James 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Do you know that? That when your faith is tested, you, your endurance has a chance to grow? I've said this a thousand times, I'll say it a thousand more times. You grow more in the tough times than you do in the good times. Because you all of a sudden have this, this contrast about stuff, and you begin to say, what am I really trusting in? Am I trusting in my wealth? Am I trusting in my relationships? Am I trusting in my, my intelligence, in my education? Is that what I'm trusting in, or am I trusting in God? So when I'm going through a problem, so it says, uh, you know, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Or another verse says, lacking nothing. See, when I, have, when I go through a problem, I have two choices. I have two choices. I can pray, Lord, make this easy, which is what we usually pray for, right? Let's just be honest. God, I'm in the middle of this problem. Please just get, get rid of it so it'll, everything will be easier. Or I can say, Lord, or we can be honest. We can say this, Lord, I don't like what I'm going through. That's lamenting. But, God, will you use this for good in my life? And let me explain something to you. According to what the scripture says, that is a more adequate prayer. That's what it means to give thanks in all things. That if I'm going through something, I say, God, I don't like what I'm going through. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, you'll lament. You, 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 you might have a conversation with God. But you come to a place you trust him. Because, God, I know that you have a greater plan for my life. So I can say, God, you know, I don't like it. Use it for good in my life. I can say, Lord, comfort me. But I can also say, Lord, conform me. Make me more like you. Because when you understand that God's purpose is not to make you comfortable, but to make you more like Christ, more things will make sense of life. It's a totally different filter to filter life through. So next time you ask the question, why is this happening to me? I can guarantee one thing will not happen. You will not always get the answer, at least this side of heaven. So I suggest you change the question and don't simply say, why is this happening? But say, what do you want me to learn from this God? What do you want me to learn from this I'm going through? How can I become more like you? How can you bring good out of bad in my life? And since God's plan is to make you more like Christ... God will bless you if you do that and have that attitude in life. It'll change the way your perspective is. So as we close this morning, I'd like to do something. I'd like to pray for those of you who are going through tough times. I don't know what you're going through. I really don't. Appreciate Susie last week sharing your testimony on video. You weren't here. It was kind of weird. I couldn't even say anything to you, but I really appreciate your video. You look good on video, by the way. Much better than that, that uh, old guy that, that talked earlier on video So uh, this morning. But the thing is, is I like to, to play, pray a, a blessing for all of you. And as we pray, I'd like to do something this morning a little different. If, if I pray, if you're going through a difficult problem right now, 
and you're going through tough times, and let me mention what they might, might be a financial problem, it could be a physical health problem, maybe it's a problem that you don't have a job, or maybe you have a conflict in your family, or maybe you're struggling with thoughts of fear and doubt. But if you have a problem you're going through right now, I want to pray a pl- prayer of blessing on you just simply because God wants us to do that for one another. He says to do this for one another. Pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if as a sign of your faith you say, God, I am going to trust you to bring good out of bad, I'm going to invite you to stand. I- I- I'm going to invite you to do something right now. I'm going to invite you, everybody else just bow your heads. Let's all bow our heads right now. And if you'd like me to pray a specific prayer over all of you, not just individually, but all of you together, those who are going through problems, and you want to admit to God, God, I need you. And I, and I want your blessing upon my life. And God, I want, to, I want to turn my life more fully to you. I want to surrender to you. I would ask that you, as we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I would ask if you want me to pray for you, would you just stand right where you are this morning and remain standing as I pray for those who are standing this morning. Just do that right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll give you just a a moment more. Let's pray. God, Father, you see those who are standing right now. God, I don't know what problems they're going through. But without even knowing that, I know one thing for sure. One thing that is true, that while Satan means it for bad, you mean it for good. And you can use it for good if they'll just surrender it to you and give it to you. And you can bring good out of the bad. I, think that, I thank you that you can take even the bitter things and stir them together and bring good out of them. So this is my prayer for my friends that are standing this morning. God, I pray, Father, that you would give them the strength to keep on going. Because they know that you have a greater plan for their lives. I thank you that you have a purpose for every problem in our lives, God, and you can use it for good. You don't always cause those problems, God. You don't make them happen, but you use them for good anyway. And although we cannot control what happens to us, we can control how we respond to it. So I pray that they will respond in faith, that we would be grateful in the circumstances, that we rejoice in the Lord always. Help us to focus on the reward to come. Help us not to have short-term thinking but to realize that you're building character in our lives every day. Make us more like Jesus Christ so that we might experience the blessings of heaven and the rewards you plan for us. I pray this blessing in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.